as I've said the, the last couple of times um, when I've talked about this subject, it's actually not something I talk about very much. In fact, this is only the third time in the entire life of faith life that I've actually uh, spoken about this. But given where we are, I think actually I think the last time, the previous time I talked about this, uh, Becky Craig, as was, wasn't even married, let alone having three children. <laughs> It's a long time ago. I remember talking about it when we were in um, the Perth, so it's not even in this building. And in the times we live in, it's so important that we understand what Jesus has to say and what God asks of us in terms of finances. And uh, if you haven't listened to the two previous talks I did, you need to listen to them because what we we all have stuff that we've accumulated over the years that might be right and it might be wrong. And when you find yourself in that position, you you go back to scripture and say, "What does scripture say?" And because, as I explained, I do, I don't want to ever find myself in a position where I'm trying to sell a vision so you guys will give. Nor do I want to find myself in a position where I uh, find myself manipulating because we have a need as a church. That, that would be wrong. Uh, and, and sadly, sometimes it's sometimes hard to find where the dividing line is. So I'm trying to be faithful to what Scripture says. And when I was doing this, I, I, I was kind of really... The Holy Spirit kept focusing on me on one of the weirdest passages, the weirdest things, stories that Jesus tells. So in case you're interested, if, you know, people who like titles, particularly Jules when she puts it on the website, this one is called The Spirit of Mammon. The Spirit of Mammon. Okay. And this passage, uh, Jesus tells, it's, I don't know what it's headed in your Bible, but in mine... It's headed the, uh, the parable of the unfaithful servant or the wicked servant in one of my other ones. And it tells the story of uh, a servant who's basically not been pleasing his master. And his master calls him to account one day and, and basically puts him on notice and tells him he's got to go. Do you remember ever reading this story? And it's kind of a weird one because what the servant does then is he goes and he meets with all his master's debtors and does like compromises. And like, I know you owe 100, but if you give me 50, we'll call it quits. And he kind of clears all his master's debts by doing deals. And you go like, Jesus, where are you going with this? And all these people he'd done deals with, obviously when he'd, he got dismissed from his uh, job, were his friends. And Jesus bizarrely says, there's a good quality in that. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? It's just like, Jesus, like, okay, I get, I, I get some of your stories, but that one's just crazy. So let's, let's read on. Um, Luke 16, verse 9. So I say to you, Make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteous. So that when it is all gone, they will receive you 
into the eternal dwellings. Now, this is, this is really just interesting. The one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And the one who is unrighteous in a little is also unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true wealth? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, Who's going to give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, were listening to all these things and were ridiculing him. And he said to them, You are the ones who justify yourselves in the sight of people, but God knows your hearts, because that which is highly esteemed among people is detestable in the sight of God. Now let's just start with a really simple thing. A really simple question that I, I kind of asked when the Holy Spirit was talking to me about this passage. Why didn't Jesus say, you can't serve God and money? Why didn't Jesus say you can't serve God and greed? Why did Jesus say you can't serve God and wealth? That's the sort of weird questions that the Holy Spirit brings up for me. Because he said you can't serve God and mammon. Why mammon? What's mammon? Who is mammon? And, and this is the point. It's really easy for us to... Uh, in our desire to despiritualize things, it's really easy for us to just skim over that and go, oh, mamma means money. The word mammon is, it's an Aramaic word. And it doesn't mean money at all. It comes from a word relating to the love of riches and it originates in Babylon what do we do what do we what do we know about Babylon it's never a good place is it in the Bible never ever been good a good place uh, Babylon started and it was a civilization that grew from the Tower of Babel and the actual word Babylon means confused thinking And so, this word comes from a place that wanted to uh, build its own system of getting to heaven. And it represents a kind of prideful spirit of humanity that, that says, well, we don't need God, we can do it on our own. Now, here's the thing. It's easy for us to hear something like that and think that doesn't relate to us. When, in reality, much of uh, our life as believers is run on us making decisions on our own without reference to, what, to God. And so it's that spirit that has got into the body of Christ. Now, mammon... Mammon was a Babylonian god. And he's, 
strangely, he's often pictured as a fat guy in a business suit. A business suit of that day, not, not now. And he's, when you see paintings of this uh, demonic uh, idol, he's usually sat down and he's got his feet on lots of people. And the, the point is that, that, that they're trying to illustrate in this is that Mammon was a spirit who thrived by indifference to others, by crushing others. So he was a bad spirit. And who built his own kingdom, his own demonic kingdom, by taking for others for himself. So Jesus, when he says, you can't serve God and mammon, he's saying you can't serve God and a spirit that takes for itself. That, that, that is independent and just uh, works its way into, into your life in order to take and take and take. You can't serve God and this spirit that says, well, it's just all down to me, isn't it? Whether, you know, I'm going to be able to pay my bills or, or whatever. And that's why this spirit is a problem for us because, as I said a, a few weeks ago, God asks us to give the first fruits and he asks us to give those first fruits into the church. Not last fruits, but he asks us to give the best. Let me just read you another verse from Romans. Romans eleven sixteen. If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Here's where you're going to have to make a leap. And the leap's this. You have to believe in a supernatural kingdom. Because if you don't believe in a supernatural kingdom, you don't really understand what Jesus is saying here. Because he's talking about mammon as a spirit that will rest on your riches and your money. He's not, he's not talking about your money, he's talking about the spirit that rests on them. And this passage in Romans basically says, there's something about if you offer the first fruits, it redeems the rest. And that's a spiritual thing. You can't get that from a natural thing. You can't say, well, you know, let, let, let's just give the first fruits of, of what, what we have, the first fruits of our increase, and uh, just carry on as we are without actually believing that God's going to supernaturally bless that. That's just stupid. We have to know that we believe in a supernatural God and a supernatural kingdom. And so the supernatural principles at work that don't come into play unless we know what those supernatural principles are and follow them. So he's talking about a spirit that rests on money. And he's saying that spirit is either the Holy Spirit or it's mammon. And so... If your money either has the spirit of God on it or the spirit of mammon. So, and then it, 
if you look at that verse, what he's saying is the way to get the Spirit of God onto your finances is to give you first fruits. Now, if you, if you think naturally, you're not going to get that. You're going to go, well, Mark's been a bit weird here. He's talking about spirit. But spirits are real. More to the point, and, and some of you will know other verses that talk about this, he's saying that the devourer can't touch it because it's got God's spirit on it. That money is blessed and protected and has a growth spirit resting on it. So I'm, I'm trying to be faithful in, in, in teaching what it says here. So you're just going to have to go with me. And then Jesus says, here's the problem with mammon. Either you're going to follow mammon, the natural I've got to get it for myself system, or you're going to follow God. You can't be in the middle. In the middle doesn't work. In the middle, you get robbed both sides. And what Jesus is saying is that there's something about this spirit that rests on our money called mammon that takes the place of God and is in direct contrast to the spirit of God. Because mammon... That spirit is looking for servants. And here's what it does to get servants. It promises you things which God promises you. But to get those things, not God's way. And that's how it entices it. You know, spirits don't come with bad stuff. They come with good promises. Like you, there's a shortcut. There's an easy way. You don't want to listen to all that stuff. Because mammon, money, riches, wealth, that spirit where we, we, we get, take for ourselves and, and fight for ourselves and, 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 and try and look after ourselves. That, that, we, we have that idea in our society that that, that promises is security, that it promises is freedom, that it promises is identity, that we can... Uh, have the things that make us look good amongst our peers. It promises his happiness. And more to the point, strangely, it promises his good marriages. Seems that, you know, a big factor in marriages is money. It's finances. So, mammon comes along and it promises all those things, but a different way from the way God gives us. So, here's the question then. If we, I'm talking about money and I'm talking about spirits and all that sort of stuff, is money good or is it evil? Because lots of people read that verse, you can't save God and mammon and say, well, money's evil. Believers shouldn't have any money. No, that's not God's way. God's way is I bless you to be a blessing. I bless you, you give me the first fruit. I redeem all the rest and the spirit rests upon that, which is a good spirit. So God actually wants to get more resource to his children so that that resource can be used in the kingdom. And so we can be blessed and we can bless others. So money's not evil. Now, where do people get it from? They, they get it because Jesus calls uh, mammon, unrighteous mammon. So if we think mammon is money, 
we'll think money's unrighteous because that's what that would say. So that's where people get it from. But actually, unrighteous mammon is the spirit that rests on money. So 1 Timothy 6.10 says this, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. From which, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So it's not money itself, it's, what, it's not having money that's the problem, it's when money has you that's the problem and you want more. And because of that, what, what Paul's saying to Timothy is actually that causes people to wander away from faith. They wander away from trusting God. And, and that's a... That's a kind of slippery slope when you go down it. So what do we get to? Well, let's go back to our passage. And uh, verse 9. I say to you, make friends for yourselves by means of the wealth of the unrighteous, so that when all is dead and gone, they will receive you into eternal blessings dwellings now on the face of it what that seems to say is use your money to make friends and if they're helped you'll be really popular with them they'll like you well yes they will usually some people just take and, and it makes no difference to them but generally people will like you that's not what that verse is saying what that verse is saying, and the key to it is, doesn't really come out so great in, in the translation I've used, so that when all is dead and gone, uh, some versions will use uh, when all is ended or when everything has failed. And what it's saying is use your money to win people to Christ, to win friends to Christ, and if you do, then when you get to heaven, those People who are in heaven, as a result of what you did, will be there welcoming you. So we get this amazing opportunity to populate heaven with people who love us and are waiting there to greet us and are excited, even if we've never met them in this life. Because by then, they know that it was what you did that got them there. And, and they're going to be standing there to thank us. Because they'll understand that it wasn't the church, it wasn't the missionary, it wasn't the evangelist, it wasn't the event. It's the people who gave to make it happen. And they're the ones they're waiting for. Here's a kingdom principle. God is the only one who can turn money into souls. So like water into wine, God can he's the only one that can turn money into souls. And we need to see when we're handling our finances that it is that important. That's what Jesus is saying here. There's souls that are involved in this. So the next question 
is, what should I do with my money? Well, here's what the Bible tells you to do with your money. I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money. It's your money. But here's what the Bible says to do with it. It says, be a good steward of it. It doesn't say be a good budgeter. Although budgeting is important, it's a good thing. But stewardship's a different thing. Stewardship recognises that everything that we have comes from God. And we, we, we manage that for the kingdom. Why do we do that? Because Jesus is our Lord. We follow Jesus. So he says, this is what you should do with him. Honour God with the first and steward the rest. Let's go to verse 10. Where's it gone? Lost two bits of paper here. Oh, they're there. No, I found them. We're fine. The one who is faithful in a very little thing is also faithfully much. And the one who is unrighteous in a very th little thing is also unrighteous in much. In some translations, and, and the one I like, it says the one who is faithful in the least of these things is, faithful in much, uh, is unfaithful in much. And the one who is faithful in the least of these things is faithful in much. So what's he saying? Well, this is what he's saying. Finances, how we handle our finances is the least of things in the kingdom of heaven. For us, the way we think in modern life, finances are the biggest of things. But that's not the way heaven sees it. It sees it as finances is the way we practice faith for the bigger things that God wants to do through us. And, it, and, it, and Jesus is saying, if you can't be faithful in that least thing, how can I trust you to be faithful with the big things? So we want to see a move of God. We want to see people healed. We want to see life saved. We, we want to see life changed. But Jesus is saying, the way you practice faith is with finances. That's, that's one of the reasons I gave it. It's the least of things. So if you're faithful in that, then I can trust you with other things, the bigger things. And, and again, that's a kingdom principle. It doesn't make any sense to us as ordinary people and who, who don't understand the supernatural. Because what he's saying is this, good stewards get more and bad stewards don't. It's really that simple. Good stewards get to see more of the kingdom, bad stewards don't. And that's not me saying it, that's Jesus. Okay, just in case you're concerned. And, that, and that's, that, that's the only thing that can help us really understand things like the parable of the talents. When, he, when the guy who had one who buried it, he takes it off him and gives it to the guy who already had multiplied 10 into 20. Because God is looking for people who will be faithful with the least of things so he can release the bigger things. And I kind of wondered why that was. I mean, it, may, it kind of makes a bit of sense, but I, I kind of wondered, well, why would that be?
And again, it comes back to something that is just irretrievably woven into the kingdom. But we don't necessarily like in our flesh. And here's, here's what is woven into the kingdom. It really is all about Jesus. It's all for his glory. So if we can't be faithful with the least of things in giving glory to God, God can't trust us with the bigger things to give glory to him. Because we'll take it for ourselves because the spirit of mammon is resting on what we've done. And the spirit of mammon is all about us and taking for ourselves. And God is looking for people in this generation that will give him the glory. Not, not give him the glory because that's what Christians say at the end of a sentence. But genuinely give him the glory. That, that won't use Jesus as a promotion tactic when he heals somebody. That won't try and use what God is doing in their midst to advertise their meetings. God will only release the fullness that we sang about earlier to those who will give him the glory. We have to uh, let the Holy Spirit work on our hearts so that our hearts are so devoted to him that he gets all the glory. And, and I know you've said this before. I heard me say this before. You haven't said it before, but I've said it before. Is if you go away on Sundays and you think, I'm not saying you should think this, but let's say you do. You go away on Sundays and you talk about Mark or whoever spoke that morning and it's all about what Mark said and Mark did and all, all this sort of thing or Nicky did last week and, and it's all this. Then we failed in being good ministers of the gospel. If it's all about a vision and, and a church, we failed in being good ministers of the gospel. Because if we're doing our job really well, you should go away talking about Jesus. He should be the one that's getting you excited. Not, not, not the vision, not, not the minister, not Mark, not anybody else. But Jesus should be the one that gets us excited. Because Jesus is the one we gave our life to. He's the one we made Lord of life. He's the one we live for. He's the one who died for us. He's the one we, who loves us. He's the one who came for us when we didn't want anything to do with him. And rescued us from ourselves. It's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing him. You know, when, when Jesus said, this is eternal life, to know the Father and Jesus Christ whom he sent, he meant it. Yeah. That's what eternal life is. That's what Jesus came to give us so we would know him. If you know church, if you know Mark, if you know somebody else, that's not knowing him. That's a fake. That's us, me, getting in the way of you finding Jesus. I can't do your life for you with Jesus. Only you can do your life for you with Jesus. So the more I can point you in that direction, the better it will be. That's what a minister of the gospel is called to do.
verses 11 and 12. Therefore, if you've not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you with true wealth? And if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Who's the other? Who's the other? Whose wealth was being used? It's the master's wealth, wasn't it, in Jesus' parable? So if you've not been faithful in the use of that which is God's, who will give you that which is yours? The only person who can give you that which is yours is your, your, yourself through your own sweat, through your own grind, through your own efforts, through riding over other people and through getting on in life and all the stress that goes with it and that's the spirit of mammon. And God is saying this, it's all mine. I gave you it all and I ask you to give back the first. Now, if you're not faithful in that, who's going to give you that which is your own? There's only you left. You move out of a supernatural believer into a natural believer. You move out of a, in, 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 out of a church that is cheerfully giving and God provides for to a seller of visions and projects. And in your own life, everything depends on you. How many of you know how hard that is? How many, how many of you tried that consistently? And it's really difficult when everything's down to you, isn't it? It's, it's just like so tiring and draining. Leviticus 27.30 says, It's a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruits from the trees belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So going back to that previous verse, um, the use of that which is another's, the tithe belongs to the Lord. <coughs> Just another verse, which many of you will know, is Malachi 3 verse 8, and it says, Will a man rob God? Now, who wants to be in the position of robbing God? Just, just, just for the, you know, bit of interest, who wants to be in that place? No? So we should listen to this. Because you will say, how have we robbed you? In what way have we robbed you? And God replies, in tithes and offerings. Because that's mine. That's what I asked you to give me. I gave you it all. So that I could bless you. It's the mechanism of heaven. You can look at that negative or you can look at that positively. And I like the positive. Because the positive says this. If you are faithful what is God, he's going to give you what is your own. He's going to be in the equation. The, the, the first fruit redeems the whole lump. There's a blessing that rests on the rest of your finances. And, and I, I remember this because, you know, many of you know that I kind of had, it's a long time ago now, a successful business career. And 
one of the things that you see in that is the way that people use wealth and, and the effects of that over, you get to observe over a period of time. Now, we used to have these things called quarterly profit distributions, which is when last year's profits got distributed each quarter. And I, I followed these principles. I've tithed since, well, more than tithed since I was at university. So, because I, I understood these principles. So I would get that and I, I would go, I, I have no use to, for that except for the kingdom. So either that's going into the kingdom now or that's going to provide for when we're in ministry. And so I didn't spend it. Now, my other partners who didn't think like that, where it was the sweat of their own brow, they were desperate for the next profit distribution to come out because they'd run out after two months. Here's what Jesus says. He, he, well, what God says. He says this. He says, the div if you do this, the Spirit of God rests on your finances. But if you don't, the consequences that mammon rests on your finances and that lets the devourer in. And, and you'll find that you just, everything just goes wrong and it costs you money. It's a really weird thing. I can't tell you anything different from that because that's what scripture says. And that's what I've experienced. So you kind of have to make up your own mind whether you believe that and, and then what, what the response is to that. Here's the last question. I'm going to finish with this. What is true riches? What is true riches? Is it the new car you saw on the internet? Is it the house? I don't even know if they sell them, but is it the new dress on ASOS? <laughs> Shell's nodding. Bounties. True Riches is the new dress on ASOS. <laughs> is it the new suit? Is it the holiday? What is true riches? Jesus says this in this parable. He tells us what true riches is. It's the people in heaven who will greet you when you get there. Because of what you did when you were here. That's awesome, isn't it? Because that's, that's for eternity. To the best of my knowledge, ASOS ain't in heaven. Here's what God's saying. Because we all want to be effective for the kingdom. We all want to see things for the kingdom. He's saying, if, I can't, if you can't be faithful with finances, how can I give you real disciples to mentor and steward? We all want revival, but we need to be faithful in the least of things. To see the greater things in our life. But the bottom line is. It's all about him. 
You know, we, our life is about him. It's about his glory. It's about people knowing him. It's about us reflecting his character and his joy and his excitement and loving what he loves and hating what he hates. And in that context, finances is a nothing. It's the least of things that we train with. He's the target. He's the goal. Knowing him, knowing him deeply, the, the encounter with him in the secret place, knowing his presence, moving in his presence, his presence resting on us, that is the greatest thing. And when that happens, there'll be crowds of people in heaven waiting to welcome you. And he'll thank you. And he'll thank you for eternity. Here's something else. One day you get to thank the people who gave to save your life for eternity. Won't that be amazing? I don't know who they are yet. I don't even know whether I liked them when they were there. <laughs> but I'll get to thank them because I'll know then. And I'll know that I'm in heaven with my Savior because of them. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. <coughs> Father, we thank you. We praise you for all your blessings. We praise you for all you've done for us and all that you've given us. We ask, Lord, that you would work on our hearts. We give you permission to work on our hearts so that we would be faithful stewards of what you have given. And we praise you for that. Amen. Amen. Amen.